Well, it's good to see you guys. Happy, uh, happy summer. Doesn't it feel good to have summer amongst us? Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm excited about summer. Um, Father's Day was cool last week. I decided to go and uh, hike. My, my son decided that my gift was to go hiking. And so they said, you know, we saw these lizards. And uh, he's, they're like, Dad, catch a lizard, you know. So I try to go back to my 12-year-old days. And I'm catching, trying to catch lizards. And I must have gotten into some poison oak. I know. Isn't that crazy? So anyway, if you see these little, like, things over my face, poison oak got me. So anyway, I know. Um, I don't want to say what, what, what Jane Huey said. It was a bit inappropriate. So <laughs> She's asking what was on my face. And when she said, I was like, that's inappropriate, Jane. I almost repeated it, but that's too inappropriate for church, Jane. I know. Anyway. All of those. I'll share it with you later. There is. Uh, anyway. Uh, well, we're continuing our series this week um, called Big People. And, uh, you know, as I've begun to dig in and share over the last few weeks about what it means to become big, what it means to mature, what it means to grow, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit sometimes convicted. I feel a little bit like, man, I wonder if there's been some times in my life that I haven't been as open to what God was wanting to do or to say in my life. And I wonder if not my physical growth... But if my spiritual growth has been stunted, you know, sometimes, you know, I look back when I was wrestling when I was in high school because, you know, I started to cut weight a lot, you know, and uh, people always say, say, you know, you look like a wrestler, you know, wrestlers are usually short and stocky. And I thought, you know, maybe it's because I cut weight, you know. Maybe I didn't get the nourishment necessary, and I stuck to my. That's what I like to tell myself. I probably would have been six foot tall, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the same can sometimes be true of us that we can not get the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment necessary for us to grow spiritually, to grow mentally, to grow emotionally. And I've asked this question I, before every single week, and I've said, how many of you know somebody, it's like they're, they're, they've grown old, they're adults, but they haven't really grown up. Yeah, there's a lot of people. And, and the reality is, is that as kids, they sort of almost grow sort of like automatically. They both grow physically as well as, you know, emotionally, you know, mentally. They, they kind of grow automatically, but then at some point in time, it just quits happening automatically. And we have to be intentional. We have to realize, you know, the things that God wants to do in our life, the opportunities that he'd like to give us, the things that he wants to see us do, he has ideas and and, and a plan for us. But it requires us to become big, which requires us to mature. It requires us to grow. And so we've been talking about that uh, each week, and we've been looking at different people in the Bible and uh, just to mentor us in different areas of, of maturity. And so uh, do you guys remember any of the people that we talked about? Oh, I know. It's like, man, a little bit of sunshine. It's like, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Abraham, yeah, Abraham was the first one. So he taught us about following in obedience with faith. And then we, and who was the next person we talked about? Solomon. Solomon. Wow, you guys got a good memory, man. It makes me feel good when you say that. I was like, yeah, people are listening. Praise God. So today, if I believe today, I'd like to to invite one more mentor to be with us today, and. Uh, and, and one of my favorites, somebody from the Old Testament, that I think that if he was here today, he would teach us something about leaving our comfort 
for the sake of a cause. Leaving something for our own uh, purpose, our own, own pursuit, and deciding to live on behalf of somebody else. Somebody else in need. And the person I'm talking today, anybody have any ideas? Anybody that you know who left comfort of their own household to pursue a cause to help other people? Anybody come to mind? I hear some whispers. It starts with the letter M. Moses. It was on the tip of your tongue, right? Moses. Yeah, I believe that if Moses was here today, he might tell us his story about how he went from a place of comfort to live on behalf of others. He went from living a life of comfort for a cause. And I think that if he was here today, he would encourage us to do the same. He'd say, if you want to be big, if you want to be mature, don't be about yourself. Don't pursue a life of comfort. Don't pursue a life of just having all the padded stuff or, or whatever it might be. But instead, take a risk for the sake of other people and live for a cause. So let me tell you guys this story about Moses. So let me, I have to set up. It's kind of a long story. So you're going to have to hang in there with me, okay? Don't worry, I'll watch the time. Everybody I know, they watch the time for me. They're just like, you know, doing one of these. But anyway, I'll watch the time for us. But it's a long story. But basically what had happened, and and here's how it was set up, is that the Israelites actually started from a man named Jacob, who was called Israel. Okay? And what had happened was he had several sons, like 12, and they all got jealous of one of the sons. His name was? Joseph. And so what they did is all the brothers got jealous of Joseph, and they decided decided to sell him into slavery. And so it ends up happening after a few different uh, things. He ends up actually second in command of the Egyptians, second in command to Pharaoh. It's like, well, his, his situation actually worked out in his favor. It wasn't overnight. There were some things that he had to go through, but he ended up second in command. And then what ended up happening is Israel and his sons went through a famine. And they went to buy food from Pharaoh. And who do they come up to? Joseph. Joseph. And it was Joseph that instead he had the opportunity to to maybe, you know, get back at him. You know, to, to have a vengeful spirit. But instead what he ends up doing is he has compassion. And he ends up not only providing the food necessary, but he ends up welcoming all the sons. Now they're older, they have wives and they have kids. He welcomes all of them to come live in Egypt. And so that's, the, that's what happens. These Israelites, that's where the, the nation of Israel started from. It actually started from that group of people in Egypt. And what happened was they began to grow. And they began to prosper. And they, get, they began to have lots of kids. And they began to become fruitful. And years and years and years, hundreds of years went by. And guess what happened? Those different pharaohs came into play. And they looked at these group of people. And they started to get afraid of them. They started to get jealous of their prosperity. They started to say things like, what if they stage a coup against us? Or if we ever go into battle, maybe they won't side with us. You know, they'll side with our enemy. So what they decided to do is they said, let's turn them into slaves. Let's oppress this group of people and let's cause them to serve us. And so this was happening for years and years and years. But even though they were uh, enslaving them and, and causing them to do the hard work, you know, the building of all these, you know, different uh, um, infrastructure, and they're doing the hard work and they're, you know, enslaving them and, 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 be, and, and treating them very cruelly, the Israelites continued to grow. They continued to multiply. 
multiply. They continue to do well. And so Pharaoh, he's, he's even getting more fearful. And so he decides, you know what I need to do is I need to set some population control in order here. And we need to deal with any uh, little boys. And so we decided to do is any little boys that are born, we're going to kill them. That's how they did population control back then. Pretty scary, right? So that's what he starts to do. He starts to tell all the midwives. He says, any uh, Hebrew babies that are born that are boys, you need to kill them. And so there's this kind of like this uproar and this frustration. And these people trying to figure out what to do. And they, you know, should we obey? Should we not? And all this, this, these things are happening. People didn't want to, of course, give their child up and have a child be killed. So then what what ended up happening is there's just one couple that has this baby boy. And to him, to them, he's beautiful. And they, they, they did not want to, of course, they did not want to sacrifice or kill this baby. So what they did is they decided to hide him. And so they kept him from uh, any of the officials and authorities. So they kept him for several weeks and months. And it came to a point where they just felt like they couldn't hide him anymore. And so what they decided to do is they made a basket for him. And they decided to put him out on the bank of a river. And they just hoped and prayed that he would be okay. What ends up happening is Pharaoh's daughter happens to be walking by in the area, going down to the river to bathe. And she hears a sound, the sound of a little baby crying. And so she walks over and she sends one of her maidservants over and they find this baby in this basket. And she looks down and she sees this baby and she says, this must be one of the Israelite baby boys. But instead of following the example or the authority or the decree of her father, Pharaoh, she decides to keep the baby and to raise him as an Egyptian little boy. So interesting story to think about. And I, I took some time and, I, and, and to do a little bit of research. And it's interesting how this woman, this mom, kind of becomes sort of the backstory. You know, when we think about the Israelites and we think about who is the leader or the game changer, we think about Moses. But we don't realize that, you know, you probably heard this before, that behind every good male leader, there's usually a good woman right behind him, you know. I think that's true of this story here where Moses' adopted mom is really a a big game changer. Because she decides to risk it all. She decides to risk her own comfort and to raise this boy as her own and to take care of him. And so what was happening is Moses grew up as he was getting the best of the education. He was getting trained in, in, the, the, um, in the top elite Egyptian school. He was getting all the resources, all the service. So he was basically developing a pretty plush environment. I mean, he pretty much had it all. If you want to talk about comfort, luckily, I mean, he should have been dead when he was a little bit baby boy, but he ended up getting a pretty good deal, right? But what ends up happening is, we probably don't hear this part of the story, is that you imagine this mother raising her boy, not only to get the best of of the education, but in her heart, she knew that what her father was doing was wrong, it's not right to kill children. It's not right to enslave and to, to, uh, to, to treat people poorly and to do it out of fear. And so what I imagine is that this mom spent this uh, time, this adopted mom of Moses, spent time with him and began to teach her, him not only the things of, of, of education and of, of Egypt and, and all these different things, arithmetic, writing, etc., but she began to also teach him about philanthropy. 
How did she do that? Well, she took him to these different places of, uh, where, where, where things um, were wrong, where she, she, they, they began to just walk through areas where Egyptians were enslaving and whipping and mistreating the Hebrews. It was something that was a burden that was on her heart. And if it wasn't a burden on her heart, she wouldn't have done what she did to rescue one of the boys. And so it's as if this, this burden that was on her heart began to then transfer over to Moses. It's like he grows up learning that he actually was rescued by this lady, by Pharaoh's daughter, that was his adopted mom, but his people were the Israelites. And she told him this story. And so as he gets older and as he grows up, it's as if Moses finally comes to a point where he can't handle the oppression anymore. He can't handle the mistreatment anymore. He starts to feel that this burden is coming to a point where he just can't continue to live with himself if he can't, if he doesn't do anything about it. And so I've heard different people use different phrases about when they come to a point where they can't handle something anymore. One of my friends said, you know, I used to drive down this certain area and I used to see the poverty. I used to see how people were struggling. And I just kept saying somebody ought to do something about it. And he said, after I said it over and over again, I finally realized that... I think God was saying that if I'm saying that someone ought to do something, it might as well be me. But one of my favorite uh, ways of putting this was somebody, I heard a preacher once say, it's like he had a Popeye moment. I got three giggles. We have three people that know who Popeye is, right? No? Who here has ever watched Popeye? All right. Most everybody. I realized by, and I shared this story in a, in a high school last year, I realized not everybody knows who Popeye is. It's really unfortunate. But basically, what a Popeye moment is basically this. You know, uh, really, what, the Popeye was an old cartoon. You know, Popeye the Sailor Man is an old cartoon. And basically, every episode was the same exact story, just in a different context. You know, same thing happened with this guy named Bluto would beat up Popeye. And he would tie him up, and then he would try to steal Popeye's girlfriend, olive oil, you know. And so Popeye would get into this point where he'd, he'd be like, just like, oh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, he'd be like, you know, tied up to a, a train track, you know. And he's just like limp, you know, he has no, any, nothing left. And then this train is coming. And it's not that he's really worried so much about the train coming, but he sees the oppression, and he sees that, that olive oil, his, his, his beloved girlfriend, is getting taken away and kidnapped. And so he, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, maybe this is it. This is the time the Popeye is not going to make it. But then he would muster up this phrase. Anybody remember the phrase? He would say, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. <laughs> and when he would say that, you would say, oh, it's going down. Popeye's getting out of this situation. As dire as it's going to be, he's getting out of this situation. You know, and he decides somehow, out of nowhere, out would always pop a can of spinach and it'd be just enough for him to break the whatever, you know, chains or ropes or whatever that's holding him down and he'd go and he'd just beat up Bluto and he'd take his girlfriend back, olive oil, right? It happened every single time. It's great. Moses had a Popeye moment. One day he was walking and he sees this Egyptian and he's beating up on an Israelite. And he says in his heart, it's all I can stand. 
and I can't stands no more. And he has this reaction, okay? And he tries to do it in secret, but he just has this reaction where he just, he takes a hold of the Egyptian and kills him. And he tries to hide it. He thinks he gets away with it, but he doesn't. What ends up happening is everybody finds out and Pharaoh finally finds out that, well, this person that probably was hiding or, uh, or posing as an Egyptian was actually an Israelite. We can't have an Egyptian or a, po- or a Hebrew posing as an Egyptian going around killing Egyptians, right, for the sake of Hebrew. So we got to kill this guy. And so they began to, to pursue him. And, um, and so Moses is still kind of in this place of like he has this compassion, this burden on his heart. And he's kind of now he's, um, he, he's a, um, a felon or whatever. He's, he's, getting, he's um, uh, getting pursued he, you know, by, by Pharaoh. And, and he still has this burden, but he still doesn't seem like he really knows what to do with it. And so he ra- reacts to a couple other situations. He comes across a couple other Israelites and they're, they're fighting and so he decides to sort of step in there and be the referee and be the peacemaker and say, hey, you guys are brothers here. You guys, you guys shouldn't fight, you know? And then after that, he goes down to Midian and he comes across uh, seven women. And it kind of, might be kind of odd that there's this guy who was a priest that had seven daughters. But if you think about it, all the little boys were being killed. So anyway, he decides and he sees them kind of getting run off by these shepherds that are kind of, you know, sort of not allowing them to get some water at a well. And so he stands up for them and he helps to get them the water that they need for their family and for their animals. And it's as if he has this burden, but it's just sort of very... uh, Undirected. It's very reactionary. It's this Popeye moment where he's saying, "It's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more." But he's just sort of, he's just sort of reacting with no vision, no plan. Just sort of this righteous anger. You know, he's kind of a loose cannon at this point. And so I. I want to say this, I wanted to stop here for just a second, because what was happening in Moses was not a bad thing. He came to a point where this burden was too much for him to bear, and he decided that he had to do something, even if it meant that he had to give up his place of comfort to be about a cause to help the Israelites, to stand up for them, to try to bring some healing and and to, to try to bring some hope. The cool thing is, is this is not the end of the story. Even though Popeye, uh, Moses has a Popeye moment, there's this other moment that he has that I think that helps to move him forward with a plan. So he has his Popeye moment, and then he has his burning bush moment. This burning bush moment. What's happening here? What happens this is that Moses happens to be, you know, working now because he ends up marrying one of those girls that he uh, helped with. He ended up being a good deal for him. You know, he helped this girl get the water that he needed. And the dad says, we need to keep that guy around. And so anyway, he got to marry one of the daughters. So he ends up working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. And he's, uh, you know, um, just kind of working one day. And he sees this bush that has a flame in it. But it's kind of weird because there is no, the, the bush isn't being burnt up. There's just a flame in it. And so he says, what is going on over here? So he walks over to this bush and he begins to realize that this is not just some ordinary bush, but God is there speaking from the bush to Moses. And God begins to speak to him and he says, Moses, this burden that you have been feeling this pain, this hurt, this cry that's coming up from the Israelites' hearts and their, from their lives. He said, 
I feel that burden too. What you're experiencing for these other people, I'm I'm experiencing it too. And at this moment, it's as if God is relieving Moses from the complete responsibility of fixing this thing by himself. He allows him, he puts that burden in his heart, but he's like, I put that burden in your heart because it's my burden too. And I believe that, that, God, that God does that same, for, that same thing for us where he begins to not only help us to, when, when there's something that we feel a cause for a, a burden about, he begins to say, I don't want you to just have that burden to deal with it yourself, but I want to partner with you. I want to use you. I want to bring change and transformation through you. And then God begins to give a vision to Moses. He begins to say, you're not going to fix everybody's problems. You're not going to help every situation. But what we're going to do is we're going to get out of here. He said, we are going to get all the Israelites and move them out of the country. It's like the biggest prison break in world's history. All right? We're talking about a million people breaking out of this enslavement, right? So he's like, we're, we're going to get out of here. So he gives this, him this clear vision. We're going to leave and we're going to go up to this land and it's going to be a good land and it's going to be a land for you. And God tells Moses that, um, and, and then he, he leaves not only with, gives him a vision, but then he also says, you're not going to just do this alone and start walking, but you need, you need to actually get some people around you. You actually need to build a team. So he says, go to the elders and I want you to communicate to them what I told you. So I want you to to get some people around you. Get the elders, get the council, get the the, the people that are kind of heads of this community around you and let them know. And then go to the people, the Israelites, and cast this vision. Bring them all together and tell them, God spoke to me, we're leaving. We're going we're gonna to take off and get out of here. Now, of course, there were some fears. Moses started being afraid of all the potential issues, all the, 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 the potential things that, um, that, that uh, Pharaoh could do to try to stop them. And so this is the next part of the story is that God says to them, don't worry because I'm going with you. I'm not going to leave you hanging there. I'm not going to just kind of leave you guys out to slaughter, but I'm going to be with you. And basically what he's saying is that my hand will provide the miraculous that you're going to need. My hand will hold back the oppression of your enemies. My, My hand will pull back and part the sea so that you can pass through. And so God promises that he is going to walk with them to provide the necessary uh, miracles that need to happen along the way. And then God also realizes that they're going to need money. I don't know about you, but whenever I think of any cause, I always think, well, I just don't got the money to do anything. I'm just kind of broke, broke, broke. But God realizes that and he says, they're going to need money. And he says, don't worry, we're going to do a little fundraiser here. And uh, back then they didn't write grants, you know, they didn't sell lemonade. What they did was they plundered people. So on their way out, they decided, don't worry, we're going to plunder the Egyptians on our way out the door. It's kind of interesting as we look at this because sometimes, I don't know about you, but it's very difficult for me to do something when I feel a burden. 
When I, I, I feel a sense of cause riding up, rising up in me. And I think if Moses was here today, that he would say, you know, I, 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 felt, I had this life of comfort, but I just did, I just, this thing started to happen up inside of me, and, and I just didn't know what to do with it. But I just, I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't just stay in this place anymore, allowing it to happen, ignoring it. So I think if Moses was here today, he would go back and he would tell his story or his experience about he went from a life of comfort to a life lived for a cause. And what he would tell us was that he actually, you know, this, this moment, this Popeye moment wasn't enough for him because he was sort of a loose cannon with this cause. But then God the, the, gave him this burning bush moment where he actually laid out a plan for him. And I think that God would actually, I mean, Moses would actually encourage us that he, he would say, you know, don't stay in a place where you have a, a righteous anger, uh, look, look to God, but more than that, don't, don't stay in a place of comfort. Because guess what? Your comfort may not be there in the long run. Your comfort may not be uh, something that you can depend on. And what's the interesting part of this story is that, you know, this mother that Moses had, it actually says that later on that she married one of these uh, Israelite boys. What it tells us is that she didn't stay in Egypt. She actually decided to go along with this big exodus, this move. And why did she do that? Well, I believe it's this, is that she decided, I'm going to stand on the right side of righteousness. When I see something that's wrong, when I see something that's not going well, when I see that there's some type of burden, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going I'm to go with it. I'm going to move with it. And sometimes we, you know, we, we think, well, there's not much of a difference that we can make. How many of you guys have ever seen a burden out there? There's seen something and it's like, what can I really do? It's the exact question that Moses asked. He's like, yeah, who am I to go to Pharaoh? And tell them, hey, we're going to leave. Who am I to lead this people? And so a lot of times we, we tell ourselves that we're not big enough. That we don't have the ability to make much of a difference. And I think that Moses would say to us, yeah, but you know what? If you just start by doing something. If you just do one thing. And Mother Teresa would echo this. She, would, she said this. We ourselves feel that we are doing, what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean. Never feel that way? Oh, if I did something, oh, it's just one drop in the ocean. But then she goes on to say, but the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. You know, if Moses didn't respond to this burden that was on his heart, then this whole generation of people would have been wiped out. But he just started doing one thing, and it was kind of a loose cannon sort of Popeye thing until God helped to provide the vision for him. So it's, it's a beautiful thing that uh, God gives him direction. He gives him clarity. He gives him a vision. It did start with the, the burden or the Popeye moment, but Popeye moment. But what he would tell us, I believe, Moses would tell us, is that when we do have a burden for something, when we do have a cause rising up in us, sometimes each one of us have the, the, the reasoning in our hearts to ignore it. But I think if Moses was here today, he would tell us, bring your burden to God. Bring this issue, bring this concern that you have to God. And I guarantee you that God's response to you is the reason that you have this burden is because it's my burden too. 
And he doesn't want to leave us there. But instead he also wants to tell us, to, he wants to give us a vision and he wants to tell us to build our team. And he wants to tell us to, to work through our fears and then look to God for the miraculous and let him fund our vision. I believe that what Moses laid out for us today is that if you want to be a big person, you have to be willing to take that risk to do something that is uncomfortable for the sake of somebody else. You know, a cause with God's revelation is living a life with divine purpose. I'm going to say that again. A cause, a cause with God's revelation is living a life with divine purpose. When you understand that there is something that is a burden on your heart, when you see that there is something that you just, is all I can stand and I can't stand no more, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do about it. I feel like if I did something, it would be like a drop in the ocean. I feel like, who am I that anybody would listen to me? Who am I that anybody would ever follow me? And all these fears and all these questions come up. But when we take that cause and we bring it to God, and God brings revelation, and he brings vision to it, and he starts to bring some bones, and a plan, and a purpose, that, what that does is it sets fire to our feet, and we spend the rest of our life pursuing that cause, trying to make a difference, wanting to see people's lives and worlds changed around us. You see, without purpose, we are aimless. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Isn't it true that when you have a divine purpose, then you are a disciplined person? I've got something that I want to achieve. I have something that God has called me to. I have a mountain that I need to take. Then we are about discipline so that we can be effective. But when we don't have it, when we don't have a sense of purpose, then we find ourselves undisciplined. Kind of sort of going this way and going that way. And so I've asked this question time and time again. And I actually have two questions. I want to give it to you and let you ponder it for a moment. If there was a cause that was on your heart and I gave you a lot of money, like a million dollars. I know to some of you that's not a lot of money. Maybe maybe some of you feel like I need two million dollars, which is, I think is a good response. But if I gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? How would you spend it? Is there someone's life that you think that you would help to better Is there some problem that you would try to solve? Is there some issue that you would try to address with that money? Another question that I like to look at is if today was the last day of your life. Let's just fast forward the tape. A hundred years for most of us, right? You know, people are living longer, right? So we can say a hundred years from now is the last day of our life. And we're getting ready to meet our maker, And if we had to look back on our life and we had to answer this question, what was the one thing that God had asked you to do here on this earth before you spent the rest of your life in eternity? What would that one thing be? What would be that one issue, that one concern that you're supposed to live your life to address? 
I leave that question for you so that you can ponder it and that you can think about it. Because more importantly, is we all need to be able to clarify it and then talk to God and share it with others. So that it helps us to focus. And I don't know about you, but man, I've got a lot of things I like to, a lot of causes, personal causes, causes for others. But sometimes going back to, if there was one thing that I feel like God wanted me to accomplish, what would it be? And it helps me to narrow it down so I can have a pinpoint focus and I can be more accurate. Because a causeless life is one of the biggest things that breaks my heart. Is when I meet somebody and they have no purpose. They have no purpose outside of just what's going to happen this weekend or what am I going to eat for lunch. I remember working at a a job one time and uh, I just felt really disconnected from the purpose. Like, what am I doing here? And I found every day I was just looking forward to lunch. What am I going to do for lunch? But I see people sometimes spending their whole lives just sort of without purpose, without a divine calling. But I believe that those who are driven by a cause, those who are driven by a purpose, will never live a a day of their life wasted. Yeah, but they're going to spend every day of their life pursuing that mission, pursuing that call, that cause that God put on their heart. Otherwise, we find ourselves just sort of aimless, kind of wayward, kind of living something in monotony. But God instead calls us to live our life with purpose for a future One of the greatest fears that I had in taking a step to be on mission to follow this burden or this cause that God was stirring in my heart is what would it do to the people who I love around me the most? How would it impact my family? That was my biggest concern. You know, if I was going to pursue a call or a purpose, would it cause my family to sort of take second seat in my life? Well, I spent some time praying through a big step. My wife and I, when we moved to Honolulu to San Francisco, we felt like God was stirring our heart for San Francisco. And I told my wife, look, this needs to be something that you discern and determine is your calling to. Because I don't want to just sort of like bring our family through this thing if it's not our thing. And my wife had done some some praying and and had, had sought some mentoring. And she came across an article, or maybe it was a chapter in a book. And it And basically, the idea of this uh, article was that a family on mission is the healthiest way to lead a family. That a family on purpose is the best way to parent your kids. I thought, man, that sure sounds good. I hope it's true. (laughs) But one of the biggest reasons that I decided to take a step to leave Honolulu to come to San Francisco because I realized if I didn't, I would never be able to authentically tell my kids to follow their God-given dreams. Because if I gave up the God-given dream in my heart and I said, oh, I did it for you, then I wouldn't be a model or an example to my kids. But because I can tell my story and I can continue to live on purpose, my kids can not only learn arithmetic and writing and all the things that they're learning here, but they can also learn a life of philanthropy, a life of purpose, a life of living for a cause, not for a life of living for comfort. Because I believe that's the life I'm living. And so I want to be that model to them and I want to be that model to others. And sometimes, one of the other fears that comes into our, our mind is, what about the resources? I've told you that before. What about the stuff? We're going to need stuff. 
Matthew 6.25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the, the body more than clothes? It's like Jesus even knows that that could be a deal breaker for us a lot of times. It's like, man, if I do what you're calling me to do, I'm going to starve and be naked. That's what we think in our heads. He's like, he's like I'm not gonna, you're not going to starve and be naked. You're going to be provided for. But that fear continues to come up. I remember when I was leaving from Honolulu to San Francisco, I had that same prayer. What about the resources? God was so clear when he responded to me. He said, go to the city. I will provide the resources and meet you there. I came with nothing. But God told me that along the pursuit of the cause, he will provide the resources necessary. He doesn't want us to be stuck, just sort of fearful about, if I take a a step or a risk, I'm going to be without. And so Proverbs 25 tells us, 20 uh, verse 5 tells us this, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. The reality is, is that all of us have purposes, causes, burdens on our heart. But for a lot of people, they just say, stay stagnant. They just sit there below the surface. But the Lord would say this, that it's actually the one who has insight helps to bring those passions, bring those purposes, bring those causes forward. So you can say, that's it. That's what I'm called to do. That's my divine purpose. And we do it together. One of the things that I love to do is to sit down and spend time with people and figure out what really makes them tick, what's really underneath the surface. And it, it's like 100% of the time I have somebody, I talk to somebody and say, I have this passion, I have this burden, I have this desire, I just don't know what to do with it. And for so many people, they spend their whole life oppressing or suppressing that burden, that call that's on their life. But God says it it, it requires some insight. It requires some discernment to bring that cause uh, forward. And it's really a sad thing when so many people live a life with their cause or their burden beneath the surface. We need to learn to to draw it out, draw it out of each other. Proverbs 19.21 says this, that many are the plans in in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails The Lord always helps us to decide, to discern what it is that he is calling us to do. My problem is not that I don't have enough purpose. I got too much. I got too much burden. But a lot of times they're disaligned. There's things that are are kind of like, well, just something happened and I just sort of reacting and responding. And that's why it's not enough just to have a Popeye moment. But it's important to have a burning bush moment where God can clarify purpose. This is what you're here for. When you find that, when you find yourself living a life of divine purpose, understanding the call that God has. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to be preparing communion here in just a moment. Because our heart as a church is to not allow these passions, these burdens, to just stay stagnant, to be unlistened to and to not be brought forward but instead our heart is to bring them forward to draw the the potential out of the wells of our heart to say what is the burden what's the cause what would you do with your million dollars if you were to if you were to die and about to meet your maker what was the one thing that you believe that you were supposed to do 
And our heart as a church is to not only call those forward, but then, and not just say, oh, that sounds cool, that'd be great, but to see how we can support, see how we can follow, see how we can encourage, see how we can fund these burdens that are on our heart. You see, the reality, if you have something that's on your heart, you didn't make it up. God put it there. And he shares that burden with you. And I don't know about you, but it gives me a lot of comfort to know that I'm not here on this earth with this burden and I feel like I have to just deal with it myself, but I can share it with God who has all the resources, all the ways forward. The last thing that I would want to find out is that you lived your life and you kept this cause, this burden, quiet and you never shared it. I'm going to tell you, share a poem with you because this is a story or a poem about a man who kept it quiet, or kept it to himself. It's called The Man That Never Really Lived. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when he, on day, passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he'd never really lived, they claimed he never really died. God wants us to be alive, fully alive, fully responding to the cause and the calling that he's put on each one of us individually. I think if Moses was here today, he said, when you find that, when you discover that, and you begin to follow it, with purpose and tension, huh, you need to become a big person because it's going to require you to grow up. I want to invite the ushers to come forward because sometimes we ask ourselves the question, is it really worth it? Would the person even really appreciate it if I did something for them? And I guess the answer to that question is this. Have you ever been on the other side of somebody leaving comfort for a cause? Have you ever been blessed by somebody? Have you ever been resourced by somebody? Have you ever been helped by somebody? The answer to that question is each one of us have. You see, Jesus left the greatest comfort that you can imagine the greatest gated city that you could ever imagine. He was in, in heaven and he came here on earth and he spent his life and he died on the cross for us. It was the greatest cause that anybody ever lived and died for was so that our sins would be forgiven and that we could have eternal life. Let me ask you this. Was that a cause worth living and dying for? And Jesus would say, I want you to be about a cause that's worth living and dying for. Amen. Well, as these, go ahead, I'll just invite the ushers to pass out the elements and go ahead and just hold on to the, the bread and the cup. And we're going to take communion together.
I believe that if Moses was here today, he'd tell us that we, that there's no greater life than a life that's lived for a cause. And I believe that if Jesus was here today, he would tell us to receive the blessing and the gift of the cause that he lived for. And that's the grace of Jesus. How many of you are grateful for Jesus' grace? For the cause that he lived and died for was for us. Forgiveness of our sins and for our salvation. And so we take communion together to receive and to be reminded of the, of the grace that he, given, he gave us through living through his cause. So as you take the bread together, can you take this with you? As you take the bread together, let me read to you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, this bread represents the fact that I'm going to be broken for you so that you would be made whole. So that because of your sins that you would be forgiven so that your punishment, I would take that on so that you would be released and you could live a life of freedom. So let's take the bread together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you gave Jesus for us on the cross. That his brokenness would be for our wholeness. That his death would be for our resurrection. God, we thank you that he lived for a cause that we could benefit from, that we could have life. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. He said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That he said, when you take of this cup, it's as if you're washing the sins away. I don't know about you, but I've experienced things that have been tainted, dirty, filthy, and he describes that as the condition of our heart. He said that as we remember the blood of Christ and we take this, what we're doing is we're asking Jesus to wash us clean, to make us pure again. Does it mean that we won't mess up again? Because we do, but we do this regularly because we constantly need him to cleanse us, to clean us. In the same way that we need to bathe physically often, we need to bathe spiritually often. Let's take the cup together. And Jesus, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for, for the sacrifice. And that for your stripes, because of your stripes, because of the, the, the torture that you received, because of the blood that was poured out, it meant that we were healed. Your blood meant that we would be washed clean, that we would be purified. Some of us don't feel clean. Some of us don't feel pure. Some of us are reminded regularly of the mistakes that we've made in our past. But it says that when we ask for forgiveness, our sins are remembered no more. That we can be made pure in your sight. And that we can be made righteous in your eyes. This morning, with everybody's heads down and eyes closed, I want to give an opportunity. If there's anybody here that has never said yes to Jesus, has never said, I want to, I've never made Jesus my Savior. I've never said yes to him, and I've never made him the leader of my life. But today, I want to make that decision. 
I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And you know, this is not a spectacle. Nobody's looking around or anything like that. But I want to take some time and acknowledge you if you want to make that decision to say yes to Jesus today. If that's you, just ask. But nobody, nobody looking around. Would you just look up at me? Would you raise your hand? Would you say, I want to say yes to Jesus today? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask if you would repeat this prayer after me. I'm going to give you the words and I want you to put your heart in it. So would you repeat this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you died for me so that I would have life. Thank you that you were broken so that I would be healed. Thank you that you've given me uh, that you've given me life. Thank you that you've given me freedom. Thank you that you've given me direction. Today, Lord, I declare that you are my savior. That you are my leader. Today, I declare I am a follower of you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you and should we clap for those who said that make a decision today to follow Jesus? I want to invite you to stand and take a hold of the hand. We are a church that is, and we're not just a group of individuals, we're a church that has committed to support and be with and love one another. And so today as we take a hold of each other's hand, we want to pray for one another. So Father God, we thank you for the hands that we hold. We thank you for this church body that we get to be a part of. That we're not just a collection of individuals, but we're part of a whole and we're part of a divine purpose together. Each one of us has a burden, but Lord, you've called us to call it forward, to call it out. And you've called us to burdens individually, to callings individually, as well as collectively. We're called a body with many parts. So I thank you for this church. Would you bless each one in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 Well, have a good week, everybody. Enjoy the sunshine. See you next week. God bless you.